Welcome to DBPA, the Drunk Bitches Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sarah. Each episode, we pair a wine with a topic where you get more lip with each sip. So let's get started. But first, pass the wine, bitch. Welcome, listeners, to our DBP book club, the first of what we hope will be recurring like a couple times a year, maybe? Yeah, this is going to be version one. And so we are going to be sharing a wine and sharing a few of our hand-selected books that we've recently read and providing you guys a little synopsis and some should we recommend it, should we not. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, Oprah's got her book club. Reese Witherspoon has her book club. Good Morning America has its own book club. Like, there's so many book clubs. But, you know, we're going to say that ours is going to be the best and the most informative. <laughs> So, without further ado, Sarah is going to crack open a 2018 well-read California red wine. Yeah, this we found at Trader Joe's, and we jumped on the opportunity to grab it because, well, one, we thought the book idea would be fine. Two, we have not actually had any Trader Joe wines, and... I know that people shop there a lot and go there a lot for cheap wine. Yeah. It's not all cheap, but, you know, we thought, hey, this would be a great time to talk about Trader Joe's and what they do with wine. I mean, I love their food. Yeah, I do too. And I was not upset to have to go there to buy this because I also have a whole shopping bag sitting in my car with the rest of my purchase. And how much How much was this? This was like six ninety nine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so I'm sure depending on like where we are in the U.S., it might change a little bit, but it's going to be about like five, seven bucks, something like that. Yeah. So well read and there is pictures of books <laughs> and wine and a fireplace. There's a and lot going on on the label. It's it also, organic wine. Yeah. And it says it contains no detectable sulfite. So which right. piggybacks off of the wine that we just drank, the Fit Vine. Because they also have the same claim. I can smell the wine already. Okay, well, cheers. Okay, cheers. Cheers to our first book club. It smells fruity, but you can smell the alcohol. It's 12.5% ABV. I think you can smell the alcohol. All right. It's very tart. Very bright. Yeah. Very bright. Well, we'll let it kind of breathe here while we sip on it and talk a little more. So, do we know anything about well-read wines? (laughs) I know that this is the only... That well red wines makes this red blend. Do we know what it's made out of? Uh, their website does not give any information, really. But did you stumble upon something that their previous website versions had indicated? Yeah, it's a blend of Grenache, Sangiovese, and a kiss of Syrah. Potentially is what we found on one, not their website, but a different website. And this was back in 2010. Oh, so that could have changed. They could have so definitely much. changed it. But it's been around for a while then, huh? I guess so. They haven't changed the label. Their website kind of <laughs> Their website kind of seems to imply that they used to have other wines cuz it has like a drop-down menu, <laughs> but it's literally a single page. And yeah. this is the only wine. So, I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe they've decided to put all their eggs in one basket and focus their efforts. But uh, it seems to be based out of Sonoma, California. Yeah. But it's just called a California red wine, just like our California Pinot Noir last week. And it is certified organic, so they have that on the label. But the cool thing then, I'm just going to pull this maybe a little full circle, but the cool thing is that because it seems to be like a California wine, so it's across California, it's not a specific American Viticultural Area or AVA. Yeah. So every vineyard that they get grapes from, in order to be considered an organic wine, I think needs to be organic, which is kind of challenging. Anyway, we are going to chat because there's so little about this wine. Yeah, we're going to talk more about Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's wines. So do you shop for wine at TJ's? I have to admit, I usually don't shop for wine at TJ's. They have a really amazing selection, like a wide variety. Typically, I would say that I would go there if I'm going to get like a rosé or if I'm shopping for, you know, to go to a party or something like that. And I'm picking up sort of some odds and ends and then I'll mm-hmm. buy a wine from there. But because we frequent so many other local wine shops, I think that that's where I spend most of my time and yeah. monies. What about you? Um, I, I will peruse when I'm there for food, but I don't go there necessarily for wine. Uh-huh. 
But it's also kind of out of the way for me to go there for wine. I have a lot more options right next like to me. In your backyard, basically. Yeah. yeah. Me too. But that being said, I have in the past stopped there to grab a bottle of wine. Yeah, I think that it honestly it seems like a nice one-stop shop, so to speak. It's like your Target, but smaller. Yeah. Because they do for have food. some toys, and they do have plants, and they have food, and they mm-hmm. have home goods, and wine. Yeah. All of the essentials. It's great. Dude, I'd love me some TJs. So, um, no, I don't I don't shop there, but I recently learned that Pinot Noir by the Druin family that mm-hmm. we just had, that they sell that at Trader Joe's. And it seems that there are some bigger names that are there, like very popular ones. So there are, there's apparently from Vine Pear. I don't mm-hmm. know if our listeners have ever been to that website or how frequently you've gone to it either. But Vinepair did an article on the five best Trader Joe's wines. And I would say that this isn't necessarily Trader Joe's made, but things that you can purchase at Trader Joe's. Yes. So that's a distinction because TJ's, they have their finger or grapes in their own wines that they like legit say exclusively at TJ's or by TJ's. I mean, we might be familiar with the two buck chuck. Which I think yeah. you're going to share some insight I'm gonna, on. I am going to share some insight on Two Buck Truck. So let's go down these top five wines that they sell there. So the number five is Ravenswood Vintners Blend Old Vine Zin. Now I have actually had this. I bought it you at like it? a local store. Yes. You want to know what's funny? I remember when I lived in St. Louis, my aunt and my mom came down to visit me and give me like a, a you know, housewarming whatever. And my aunt literally brought this bottle. Now, this was like a decade ago. So you don't remember. So, but I do remember that I was like, oh my God, this is a good wine. And so I thought that I was shelling out the big bucks for eight or nine dollars <laughs> to buy this wine. Um, hey, as opposed to my six need... dollar yellowtail. I was gonna say you can get four bottles of two buck chuck. Uh, I've never bought that. I haven't either, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so, but yeah, actually, I think this is a pretty good wine. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I agree with that. What's next? Okay. Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc. 2000. Well, this is the 2017. Have you had that before? No. I have heard so much about Kim Crawford. Yeah, I know. I haven't had it about Kim Crawford. I have never had it. I think it needs to be on our must-try list. I think so, too. It's from New Zealand, Marlborough, which is, like, super popular for Sauvignon Blanc. One thing I think is funny about this particular description, it says, reveling in its floral bath and body works notes. That's hilarious. <laughs> which I'm like, oh, I can definitely picture that. Like, yeah. I imagine myself walking into B- BBW. What do you have next? Floriana Gruner Feltliner, 2017. Now, this is a grape that I actually think is pretty tasty. I like tasty. it. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, so uh, very citrusy, very green apple-y, yeah. a little peppery. Yeah. And yeah, I think that this is this is cool. <laughs> they have another weird suggestion saying that it would be good in a slushy, which hmm. sounds interesting and even good with popcorn. This is about six bucks, so I, I think would try it's that. worth a try. Same. Okay, the next one we've got here is Villa Serena Montepulciano. They say it's the cheapest wine in the top five. It's $5. That it's interesting and well-balanced and the ideal representation of an earthy style of Italian wine. So, reminding people of a Tuscan getaway. So, if you, if you can't afford a trip or take the time you off got five to go bucks. to Italy, you got five bucks, close your eyes and drink up, huh? I guess so. Still haven't <laughs> tried that one either. No, which brings us to our number one. I feel like we're going like all around the world yeah. here, right? So number one is the Lapaca Sonriente Garnacha, which is about seven bucks and it's Spanish. This one, it says it pairs well with food, but can be easily drunk on its own. Leather and fresh tobacco. I mean, sure, I'd be down. Yeah. So those are the five on that website. Uh, I know that I've looked at some other websites and things like that and other ones that I've tried that have come out uh-huh. that I enjoy Kung Fu Girl Riesling which we did a oh, podcast on great I do like that and that is pretty cheap 10 bucks usually they've got Freak Show which is one of your faves right I literally just bought it because I thought it was so well priced and I was like oh my gosh I need I need me some Freak Show if you're a Miomi fan 
Miomi Pino. Um, they sell that for about 20 there. So that's usually a popular one. Yeah. They also have Bogle Vineyards. Which is another in. really, and yep. like pretty inexpensive, but very, I think that Bogle is actually pretty tasty. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just some other things. They even have some good French wine. Um, I know they've got a good Morgan there. Um, so now what about some of the not good ones? So what's the most <laughs> common one that we know about? Okay. What is TJ's known for? Our two buck chuck is two buck really, chuck. like if you look at this list of best and worst, there's like five two buck chucks or Charles Shaw varietals on here. And yeah. I think you get what you pay for. This is true. But this is what they're known for. And I feel like this is college. Yeah. It's like two buck chuck. But again, I never bought it myself. I haven't either. But I don't think so. I'm, I'm very curious about how this got its start and why it made its way into TJ's. So yeah. Do you, I have do you have the lowdown? I do. So Charles Shaw is actually alive and well. Oh. Um, he is 75 or something like that, maybe. Um, <clears throat> but he doesn't see any money from this. What? Yeah, so really interesting he, story. Who is Charles Shaw in relation to TJ's? Well, I was going to tell you. Okay. So TJ's has sold nearly a billion bottles of Charles Shaw since 2002. Isn't that crazy? And this guy hasn't seen anything from it. So his wine actually goes back to the 1970s. Okay. This Charles Shaw moved to Paris, fell in love with wine. He had been really wanting to make French wine and bring it back to America. So he bought a vineyard, I think, in Napa, California, and rolled back out... Back when it was cheap. Probably. It was yeah. in 1979. Uh-huh. And rolled out uh, his first Gamay, which was a Beaujolais. And he won a bunch of awards. He actually served it at White House dinners and things like that. Um, but... What? Yes. And he, his wife actually helped him buy the vineyard. The wives always do. Yeah. <laughs> so he had some inf- unfortunate mistakes. He apparently used uh, wax for the wine barrels that was petroleum-based based instead of beeswax, and he basically turned tainted in massive supply. Oh. So he had to get rid of 1,400 barrels of wine. Um, he suffered a ton of loss, and then he ended up going through a divorce. Uh, so... He had other Wow, things. that seems like a shit show. Yeah, he made other bad business decisions, which led him to claim bankruptcy. So he had to go to auction with the winery's assets, and the trade name was purchased by Fred Fonzia, who's the owner of Bronco Wine Company. And <clears throat> Franzia. Yep. <laughs> This is incredible. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is, is that wine that was tainted. Yeah. So he actually sold that to a Stanford <gasps> alum, Joe Collum, a.k.a. Trader Joe. Trader Joe. And sold it for $2 a bottle with a different label. But when he went bankrupt, he had to sell his vineyard. And he sold his vineyard to Fred Fonzia, who's, like I said, the owner of Bronco oh Wine Company. Oh, my gosh. So Bronco sells 80 different wine labels at different price points, um, but he decided for some reasons keeps with the line of Charles Shaw label, and it debuted in Trader Joe's in 2002, selling for $1.99 a bottle, earning the name Two Buck Chuck, and college students loved it. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> wine people, you know, they debated like, is it going to be good quality with such a low price? Um, it's not very good wine. There's a few reasons. <laughs> Some people have called it by undrinkable the... and sugar water. Yeah. Um, but again, for some people, that's all they need. That's why they sell so much of it. Now they are able to profit because now it's not one day. I think it's like $3 ish. And they're still able to profit because. Their vineyards are in um, California's San Joaquin Valley, which is cheaper real estate than Napa or Sonoma. Sure. The wine is often fermented with oak chips, which is cheaper than fermenting in barrels. And the grapes are machine harvested. So keeps costs down, but you have a higher sugar content of wine. Um, And they use lightweight bottles to keep shipping costs low. 
So currently, the real Charles Shaw, uh-huh. the, guy, the real will the real Charles Shaw please stand up? Yes, <laughs> he now markets software for cardiac surgery monitoring, and does have an issue with his name being associated with booze, and thinks that the two buck chuck label is embarrassing and demeaning. But well, wait. When did he sell it? When did he go bankrupt? Uh... So in the early 90s, he got divorced. In 2002, recession hit. Um, I I think it was right before 2002. Okay. Uh, And yeah. So I mean, I can understand wanting to distance yourself from a failure of your life. (laughs) I mean, I can't. I can't discredit his wanting to kind of remove that memory or put his past in the past. Because it's everywhere. I mean, we're finding articles very easily that mention Two Buck Chuck. I feel like it's mentioned in TV shows mm-hmm. and shit, too. So you probably don't want to have that that reminder all the time. Yeah. Um, but Charles Shaw, in one article, says he loves that. The dorms love it. All the fraternities and sororities love it. So he failed, but he's kind of known in that way. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. Charles Shaw. So I guess if you're interested in knowing more of his story, there is a podcast called Household Name where they interviewed him. So if you want to hear more about him, I would, you know, I plan to maybe listen to that. Um, so yeah, that's that's the, the TJ's Charles Shaw story. That's incredible. I was really baffled by the whole, or shocked, by the Franzia owning... Two buck chug, basically. Yeah. Um, TJ's is in and of itself, I think, an absolutely magical place. I just found this other article where it's just talking about how they pay their employees really well. They give them cool benefits that most people don't, especially when you're part-time. They intentionally overstaff so that their staff members can actually talk to customers. Mm -hmm. But I will say, I don't think that their staff are overbearing by any means. You know, like when you walk into a store, like at a mall, and you just feel bombarded immediately. And you're like, can I help you? What can I do? What are you looking for? What are you... And it's like, I literally stepped two feet into the store. If you want me to walk further, just get the fuck out of my face. Right. So I will, I've never felt that way from a Trader Joe's. They are some of the most pleasant human beings I've ever experienced at a store. And honestly, I think that their offerings are so great. They're regional. They're seasonal. Their price point is, they have some things that are priced higher, but I think that they also have really, really well-priced good food. And one thing that I just found out is that when you see the name, like, of course, things say Trader Joe's. But like when you see a product that is actually labeled as Trader Joe's brand, mm-hmm. it means that they are free of artificial flavors, colors, preservatives, MSG, genetically modified ingredients, and artificial trans fats. Yeah. And about 80 to 90% of their products sold there have one of those private label names. It's a big fucking deal. Like... Trader Joe's, the company has invested a lot into making sure that they have high quality produce and, and products. And so I think that that is really incredible. I just think TJ's is like one it's, of the best companies. It's amazing. I like going there. I like I like it. I wish so, it was one I could walk to. I know. It'd be fun. So It's not like it's that far. But and the, the, the cashiers are always so friendly. Dude, I know. And the other cool thing is that the employees try the products themselves. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean... I'm sure that they don't, like, when you get hired, they're not like, here, try all these products. Yeah. But what, you know, so I oftentimes, when I check out, they're always like, oh my gosh, I haven't tried this yet. Is it good? And they, it's like, you feel there's, they're being very genuine in the questions yeah. that they ask. It doesn't seem like when I'm at my local grocery store, and you have these high school kids who are just like, I just have an after school job, and I hate my life. Like, these people are so nice. I know. And they're like, are you okay? Like, how are you doing? What do you have planned tonight? Yeah. Like, they're just so sweet. I love it. I love it. Um, I'll never say a bad thing about TJ's. I know. I know. We'll see how we feel about this wine later. So let's get into this book club. Let's do it. All right. So we each picked three books Mm -hmm. that we were going to um, recommend if you are interested in picking up something new. Um, Then maybe one of these might strike your fancy. So, Jamie, go for it. What's your first one? 
Okay, so, and these are in no particular order. Yeah, same. One of the books that I chose is One of Us is Lying by Karen McManus. And I saw it, I was going through Barnes and Noble at one time and I was walking through and you know they have those big book displays and I just saw this one sticking out and it was like just a cool image. Like the faces are missing and all these question marks and I was like, what is, what is this? And so it drew me over to it and I was like, I feel uncomfortable. This is a young adult book. So I feel like I can't read this in public. So I need to go home and research it. So I did just that. And this book is so interesting. I pulled the synopsis and the description from Barnes and Noble, which I'm pretty sure is written on the back of the book. But there is one thing that I wanted to mention, which is a quote from a couple other reviewers. It says, Pretty Little Liars meets The Breakfast Club in this flat-out addictive story of what happens when five strangers walk into detention and only four walk out alive. So is it scary? No. Is no. It a, is it a mystery? It's a mystery for sure. Okay. Um, okay, so here's the here's the synopsis, like the quick thing from the back of the book. Pay close attention and you might solve this. On Monday afternoon, five students at Bayview High walk into detention. Bronwyn, the brain, is yellbound and never breaks a rule. Addie, the beauty, is the picture-perfect homecoming princess. Nate, the criminal, is already on probation for dealing. Cooper, the athlete, is the all-star baseball pitcher. And Simon, the outcast, is the creator of Bayview High's notorious gossip app. Yes, hmm. an app. Only, Simon never makes it out of that classroom. Before the end of detention, Simon's dead. And according to investigators, his death wasn't an accident. On Monday, he died, but on Tuesday, he planned to post juicy reveals about all four of his high-profile classmates, which makes all four of them suspects in his murder. Or are they the perfect patsies for a killer who's still on the loose? Everyone has secrets, right? What really matters is how far you would go to protect them. Very interesting. And scene. So are those the kind of books you're usually into? That kind of genre? or Well, I will admit, I've gone through phases, I think, in books. And as I've gotten older, I think I have realized that in order to kind of stick with reading, I need to kind of vary it. And so this young adult culture, I mean, I've read like all the Harry Potter books. Mm -hmm. I read Hunger mm -hmm. Games. I read yeah. the Divergent series. Like I've done those young adult type things. In fact, one of our family friends also wrote a book. I can't remember what it's called, but her name is Amanda Gibson. So we'll look it up. on. It's an Amazon book and it's a quick read. But I find myself that these are like really quick reads. So if I have something really stressful, yeah, I oftentimes will look for something like this in this type of genre to read next. So you would recommend this book then? Oh, totally. It's the coolest freaking thing because... Um, it's written from different vantage points of the students. It is purely addictive. Every chapter, it alternates whose point of view you're going from. Okay. And it helps you get inside of their minds. And so one of the things that I really like about authors, so not just this book, but in general, is when they you can kind of see like different perspectives from different characters because I think it really helps to frame sort of what is going on in a scene and it yeah. allows you to kind of revisit it from different angles. I mean, there's a movie called The Vantage Point, if I'm not mistaken, that really right. does this and it kind of sh speaks to a really huge event and takes you through and you kind of try to like play detective and solve mystery. I love that and those are the types of books that because they're short chapters too, you're just like, oh wait, but I gotta read one more. Oh wait, but I gotta read one more. Yeah. It's very, very cool. Interesting. Yes. Okay. I would just say too about that style of writing. To me, I'm curious if it really helps people become more empathetic in life because it encourages you to kind of look outside of just your narrow frame of reference and kind of see the world from other people's points of view or if it just helps us become better problem solvers. But I think that that's something that I kind of gain from reading books like this. So Okay. Yeah. And I guess there's another one called One of Us is Next. Oh. By Karen so, McManus. I didn't know about that, so I think I might have to check so that So that one. might be next for you, then. That might be next okay. for me. Okay. I yeah. like it. So what's your first one you want to talk about? Um, Mrs. Kennedy and Me. What is that about? So it's by Clint Hill, okay. who was Jackie Kennedy's personal secret service agent. What? Yeah. And so he writes this book. I just found it browsing the bookstore and I, I just immediately bought it. I was like, I need to have this book. Oh my God. Um, so he describes, so he had this very close relationship with her mm -hmm. and there, it's not, it's not scandalous. Like there was nothing 
when I say relationship, it's purely oh, okay, service okay, agent. Yeah, service agent. Um, but it's the the four years leading up to JFK's assassination, and then after the whole thing after that. So he was the one who actually um, jumped on the car after JFK was shot. I've seen that. Yeah. Um, because he was supposed to be protecting the first lady. So he knew if there was going to be any more shots, it was going to hit her. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. So basically it says, Mrs. Kennedy's strength, class, and dignity over the tragic four days in November 1963 held the country together. This is the story told for the first time of the man who perhaps held her together. Wow. I just got chills. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's really interesting. It's such a personal view of the Kennedys and of of Jackie O. So if you're interested in the Kennedy family, if, if by any, it's almost like a documentary because it's coming from him, but of somebody else's kind of experience. Um, and it's not like it's a biography, but it is just this. Do you, I mean, it is like an autobiography then. Because it's I mean, written kind from of, him, but it's not like but it's talking not about her, about her you know? right? But it's his autobiography of his time with her. But it's his perspective of her too. So like, oh, it's wow. kind of, you know, um, it gives you an insight into the Kennedy family. He writes in a very loving way towards her. He shows her respect, but it's also like you feel the sadness of the events and what happened. Do and you do you know? Like, was this recently published or is this something? This that's was been- no. This has been around. Okay. And I think they actually interviewed him at some point. I can't remember who did. But they there is, I mean, you can find interviews on him as well. But they call it an intimate memoir. That's, wow. And this is such a point in time that's so iconic for our country. And Sean and I were at an art museum one time, and they had an Andy Warhol exhibit. And Andy Warhol did a lot of stuff around the assassination yeah and there are audio recordings and transcripts and things like that that i think are very um captivating and very emotionally charged yeah and to me as you were describing it i'm like oh my gosh this is like it but in more words and i think that i would love to read this yeah very cool you could borrow at any time so it was was published in 2012 so it took him actually 50 years to tell the story because I think it was so painful for him. Sure. Um, But I'll just close out with this. He says, We have been through so much together, Mrs. Kennedy and me, more than anyone can imagine, more than anyone can ever know. So, yeah, it's it's a page turner. Like, it's one of those books that you just get into and yeah. you're going to go for it, you mm-hmm. know? Because sometimes, I'll be honest, it's hard for me to keep engaged in a lot of books because sometimes I get bored. So I need something that's really going to, like... Yeah. And once I'm in that, I can read something, like, so fast. But I just... I have to be in that mode. I think that's certainly a challenge, and I want to kind of, like, revisit that uh, before we close out. But it sounds really cool, so I will... Sarah, I was looking at your bookshelf earlier, and I think... I think there are a few things that I might need to borrow from you. Deal. We, we (laughs) We can do a book exchange. Okay. There you go. I will admit... And so this goes the same for... Actually, all three of my books today, I mean, I have been a huge proponent of checking things out at the library because... I know. I need to do that more. I have limited shelf space, and also, it's so... It's such a huge expense. Like, there are certainly books that I would get, or, like, I'll buy them even, too, like, for my e-reader, but it can be very challenging because you're like, what if I buy this book and I just... It's, like, complete shit to me. Like, I... Or I can't... I just can't get through it. I hear you. Well, you're welcome. Like I said... Your bookshelf, my bookshelf is your bookshelf. Oh, thank you. Anytime. Je veux mon livre. Um, <laughs> okay. What I is want your... my book. Je veux, je veux, jouer, je veux. Um, okay, so my second one is The First 15 this Lives. This great. This is insane. Yeah. It's called The First 15 Lives of Harry August. It's by Claire North. And I was at a random wine night and my friend Angela actually, we were somehow talking about books because she's in a book club too. And I was like, oh, I really, I need to, like, I have a list of books that I want to read. And I'm, that's one of my goals is to read more. And so she goes, oh my God, well, if you need recommendations, like, I have them. And I said, yeah, well, let me get on my phone and I can add yeah. to my list. One of these, the books was this one. And I think at the time she was like in the middle of it and she's like, it's just, it's very captivating. So what this is, the synopsis. And again, this is from Barnes & Noble Overview, and I think this is also on the back. Because I will admit, I don't want to explain something and give anything away. So I only want to share what you as a reader, a potential reader, can actually see for yourself. So, 
Harry August is on his deathbed. Again, no matter what he does or the decisions he makes, when death comes, Harry always returns to where he began, a child with all of the knowledge of a life he has already lived a dozen times before. Nothing ever changes until now. As Harry nears the end of his 11th life, a little girl appears at his bedside. I nearly missed you, Dr. August, she says. I need to send a message. This is the story of what Harry does next and what he did before and how he tries to save a past he cannot change and a future he cannot allow. Wow. So is it, is it sad? There are certainly some sadder moments, I think, because as one can imagine, your life takes you in so many different ways, different yeah. places and paths. And so I think that it definitely addresses some of the things that you that you would expect to encounter, but also this poor guy. So I'll share a little bit. Harry August, he's basically reborn, and every time he's reborn, he already knows everything that happened in his previous lives that he has been aware of. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's like, if you didn't have any answers, if you were like, what the fuck is happening? It does encounter, um, you know, difficult things like war and suicide. It really goes through some very serious family relationships and, you know, things can be kind of messed up. Yeah. Um, but again, it kind of talks about that resiliency that despite knowing all of this information and gaining more knowledge with every life that you have that you can still make decisions and you can try to do, it's almost like the choose your own adventure. Yeah. Like, oh, I did this last time. So you know what? This time I'm just going to go, I'm going to take a 180 and go the opposite direction with my life and seeing where that takes you. And then you can kind of be like, okay, well, I guess it wasn't so bad the first way around or something like that. So it's very cool. It's very unique. And, you know, when I was reading it, I'm just like, how did the author write this? Like, where did she come up with this in her mind? Because it is so, it's so well integrated that you don't realize it until closer to the end. And you're like, oh my God, she's weaving all of these different pieces together. And it's, it's, un, it's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. So would you recommend this book? Oh, totally. I mean, this is another one that it's, you, you just kind of want to see where this man takes his life each and every time, even though it's like, okay, but do we really have multiple lives? Like, you can't but help but wonder, like, oh, could this really happen? Yeah, it's I don't kinda know. It's like kind of messed of those, up. So it's kind of like a sci-fi type Sort of. It's, like, it's, it's almost like the cause and a question, like, do you believe in reincarnation? Oh, yeah. And also, I think particular pertinent to our society today like the role of technology and things mm-hmm. and kind of how far you can advance and yeah. you know really make bigger changes and what your impact as a human is yeah so yeah, yeah. i would definitely recommend nice yes um what's your what's your next one so you're going to see a theme with me i really enjoy stories about real people mhm and the next one is the paris wife I read this. Oh, did you read it? Okay. Wait, did I read it? Uh, it's by Paula McLean. So my husband is very interested in Ernest Hemingway. And I've read a bunch of, not a bunch, a few of Ernest Hemingway's books. And I had just finished reading uh, Farewell to Arms. and Or maybe it was The Sun Also Rises. I can't okay. remember which one I had just finished reading. And I saw this book. And I was like, okay, I really need to grab this. It is basically, it is a historical fiction book about the story of Hadley Richardson, who's Ernest Hemingway's first wife, who he had a son with. Yes. It is such a good book. I think it's very well written. Uh, It gives you like the whole story of the love affair between Ernest and Hadley. They met in Chicago, how they moved to Paris, their entire life in Paris during the Jazz Age. And it, it brings up like the Fitzgeralds as yes. a pound. I do. I did read this. Okay. Very yeah. cool. And so you're, you're, and so maybe you can put in your two thoughts, two cents on this, but I thought it was like really cool how they went through their relationship with all these people that obviously all became famous. Oh yeah. But then it's like this passionate 
version of her side of the story and you almost believe that she wrote it but this is like historical fiction right so she didn't but the author did such a great job getting all accurate details oh yeah i mean there's some things that happen that you're like oh my god did this really happen i don't know and i i I think most of it did but for the most part it's kind of heartbreaking because everyone knows what happens you know they Mm -hmm. obviously break up but just the way she describes everything and like the betrayal and like so it's like deeply saddening yet enticingly romantic at the same time you know and you see like Ernest Hemingway from a different viewpoint well I have to admit I have not really read Ernest Hemingway okay Uh, I think that what you described is totally accurate and it's amazing because I remember thinking at the end like wait this isn't like a totally true story but it's like every movie it's based on a true story based on facts that really happen or what have you and of course it's going to be embellished a little bit but really I don't believe that there was so much in the book that was so exaggerated I mean you really felt the turmoil you really felt the love you really feel everything that Hadley goes through and kind of like what's pulling her in all these different directions too, just based on everything else that's described. So yeah, yeah I, I forgot that I read this, but yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, I also think it's it's a, a good one to read if you're into Hemingway because he kind of always went back to her and the things that he talked about and everything. Oh, he in his wrote, books. Yeah, he mm-hmm. wrote he would have rather died than fallen in love with anyone but her. So I think she was like his... Well, and it's like... I, I first... Mean, one really like the it's, one he it's really technically like for. the one that got away i'm yeah. without being the one that got away i think that yeah as you describe he kind of realized like wow i really fucked things up but it's like too late to go back but that's sort of how he feels i mean it's the one that he has loved first loved will always love and the one that he fell in love with when he had nothing right the rest it was you know it was yeah. after success yeah. and whatnot. yeah yeah so Anyways, yeah, I, I I thought it was a great book. So, do you remember when you read it? Was it like a quick read? Um, it's not too lengthy. I wouldn't say it's like a super quick read, but again, I read through it pretty fast. Okay, it's also cool because I think from the books that we have described so far, we're going at different points in time, literal points in time. So it, this is cool to see, you know, the Roaring Twenties and how you know. F. Scott Fitzgerald was around and, exactly. and all that. And it is it is very interesting. Yep, the, how their um, lives were all intertwined. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And sort of what life was like back then. So what's nice. next for you? Your your last one. Okay, so my, I, I really want to read. So my last one is called Tangled Vines, Greed, Murder, Obsession, and an Arsonist in the Vineyards of California. It's by Francis Dinkelspiel. I found this because I was looking on our library, you know, the online catalog, and I was like, what are some books about wine? And I legit thought that I was going to be reading, like, a novel. Little did I know. It was real? This is a true freaking story. All really? of it is a true story. Interesting. So who wrote it? Okay, so Frances Dinklespiel, I think that she was writing for, oh, God, I don't know if she was writing for a university or was what publication, but she was decided that she was going to do some sort of like background digging because she knew that her family was like in wine. Okay. Okay. So as it turns out, her great great grandfather, and it could have started, and I apologize for mm-hmm. not recalling, but it could have started as her trying to do some sort of genealogy, like ancestry digging and things like that, simply yeah. for her own purposes. Right. Um, her great-great-grandfather used to be a winemaker, like one of the original ones out in California, uh, more so like San Jose-ish area, if I'm not mistaken. And so she kind of like started going down rabbit holes and kind of wherever her studies took her. Uh-huh. So this is like the real life description. On October 12th, 2005, a massive fire broke out in the Wine Central Wine Warehouse in Vallejo, California. Within hours, the flames had destroyed 4.5 million bottles of California's finest wine worth more than $250 million. Okay, so that's legitimately what happened. With this fire, it's absolutely absurd when you think about it. I mean, the cost, the number, etc. <coughs> but like Via Dare, which yeah. we tried to go to while we were out right. in Napa, that was one of them uh, who was affected. And this all happened this October 12th. The fire happened while they were all at this huge auction. Okay. And they're auctions for like the libraries of wine. And then they're like getting these phone calls that all of their shit's in flames. 
And so oh my God. that's so scary. It's absolutely ridiculous. Some of these had vertical tasting libraries that were included in there. It's supposed to be a safe storage unit. Some of them had their entire vineyard or wineries libraries in there. So yeah. like every single wine, every vertical, everything, right. you know. And a lot of people save those because a, you keep them and you can auction them off or you can sell them at higher prices typically if they were great vintages. Right. Um, but it also is a learning opportunity so that you can open the bottles periodically and kind of see how things are changing, exactly. like what's developing. And one of the things that I think a lot of good winemakers try to do is learn from what they've done in the past and see how it impacts the future. So at any rate, although this fire is sort of the impetus and I think the main focus of the book, it's not the only focus. And so it, as I said, Francis's great, great grandfather really was trying to make like the first iconic wine. It's Port and Angelica that was made in 1875, but it talks about what happened to the wine industry in California way back then. There's so much murder, people trying to take over other people and their families and their vineyards and it's just like a whole sort of chaos that ensues. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. I really want to pick that book up. I would love to read about that and that story. It's just fascinating. It's a madhouse. And this dude lived in Sausalito, which is just over the Golden Gate Bridge. It's so crazy. I totally recommend it. I will admit it is a big book. Really? It's a long book. So did it take you a while? It took me a little bit to read. Uh, I didn't breeze through it as quickly. Um, It's one of those things where I would read it like as I was in bed. Yeah. Because I had a lot of other things going on. But um, it is something that was easy enough where you could pick it up and put it down so many times and still keep the continuity going. Yeah. It, It really is very cool. I think it's amazing to think through about how certain people make certain decisions in their lives too. Yeah. <laughs> You're, I'm still scratching my head like Mark Anderson like WTF like how did you let your life get so fucked up? Anyway. <sighs> it happens. Huh? It was a very very good book. So yeah I would definitely recommend. Okay. Our library over here has it. Okay. I will have to go pick it up. Maybe I'll take your advice and library it up. Library it up. Yeah. All right. Give us your last one, Sarah. Okay. My last, I read this a while ago, but I love this book. And I've read his other books since this one. Uh, Complications by Atul Gawande. Have you heard this of this one before? No. I mean, okay. I think of like Avril Lavigne. No, no. <laughs> not No. It's So he's a surgeon. Um, so I picked this book because it intrigued me just from a medical perspective. It was mm-hmm. written and also recommended by a friend. Um, so the synopsis, I'll give you what they say. In gripping accounts of true cases, surgeon Atul Gawande explores the power and the limits of medicine, offering an unflinching view from the scalpel's edge. Complications lays bare a science, not in its I- idealized form, but as it actually is. Uncertain, perplexing, and profoundly human. He uses real-life scenarios, a burned-out doctor who refuses to quit, a terminal patient who opts for risky surgery with fatal results, to explore the larger ethical issues that underlie medicine. He asks, how much input should a patient have? How can young doctors gain hands-on experience without endangering lives? Um, It is a very refreshing real-life perspective from a young physician. So he did write this, I think, in residence or fellowship, maybe. Oh, really? Um, or he wrote it after, and it's of his experiences during that time. Okay. Um, it's it's well written. You gain an understanding of the struggles that physicians face on a day-to-day basis and the training that goes into it, that they're imperfect and that they're human, but still, like, heroic. So, like, you kind of see both sides. It's very humanized. It really puts a human touch on medicine. Mm-hmm. So you understand kind of, like... He, like, describes what's going through his mind, like, the first time he uses a scalpel and oh things like that. I can't um, even imagine. And it, I like it because it keeps me... It keeps me really engaged because it goes from, like, story to story. But it's still him, like, in building up on things. So... He says it's meant to deepen our understandings of the intricacies of medicine and um, that in most medical writing, the doctor is either a hero or a villain. And he's yeah. trying to push beyond that and show how ordinary they are and how at the same time what they do is extraordinary. Even from you know my own work, I can definitely understand there's more that goes into it. I mean, I was a part of conversations with emergency physicians who say, depending on what the patient tells you, 
like your brain immediately, the moment you hear something, you're like, okay, I got to go down this pathway. Mm -hmm. But if the patient were to say something a little bit differently or to toss in another symptom, the physician would have been like, oh, okay, but we need to explore that option, which will could essentially change your workup drastically. And you are trying to get to two different conclusions or a variety of different conclusions. And depending on the information that you have, you go with that, you go with your experience, all of your studies, everything around you, your colleagues, you know, you ask advice for that. And it's one of those things that I think is overlooked in the medical fields. Well, I think what this does is kind of just gives you like, physicians are human, right? Yeah. And part of the, but part of that is that like you want them to be human. Yes. That means they're going to make mistakes, but that means that they are going to, if you have a good doctor, they're going to have that passion and that like grit to keep going and not give up on you. Yeah. A a robot is not going to do that. Right. And also like, it's like the art of medicine, like. But he just gives you such a real life perspective on what happens and like, especially as a surgeon, which I think is also adds a layer of uh, like just interests there. So anyways, if that's the kind of thing you're into or, you know, he also has, like I said, two other books. I've read all of them, but I I think this one's my favorite one. So that's awesome. Yeah. I I, know I have never heard of this book before. And I think that um, I do think it would be enlightening. It's For great. Sure. And it's it's just, I mean, like I said, it, it does really keep you enticed to keep on reading. Yeah. So. Cool. One thing I was going to say um, before we revisit the wine, mm-hmm. just about like books in general. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, sometimes it's challenging um, to read things. Like, I will say that book, The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Yes. I, I tried reading it and I was like, what the hell is going on? I forced myself to get through it and after I hit I think it was like the first like 80 pages or something magically it was so much more interesting because the first 80 or so pages really focuses on just introducing like 40 or 50 different it seems Swedish towns that all sound the same because it's Swedish so from that perspective I was just like why do I need all this information just presented up front yeah did they mention them later in the story? Yes, they did. But was it absolutely necessary to kind of see like how things piece together? Eh, not really. So like I told my mom, I was like, mom, just skip the first 80 pages and get into the story because it was so hard to get through. It was so dense. Yeah, that's that's one book. I mean, Clockwork Orange is another one that I've owned for at least 15 years. Yeah. Haven't gotten past page 30. It's so, it's a different language. And by the time you figure it out, you're so exhausted. And you're like, I can't, I just can't do it. That's how I felt about Game of Thrones. I tried reading the book. Yeah. I just, sometimes it's like, you have, okay, we all as adults have very limited amounts of time to commit to these sort of extracurricular activities, if you will, you know? And so I think that if we're going to spend our time reading about something, whether it's fiction or nonfiction or whatever genre floats your boat, I think that we want to make sure that we're interested in it from the beginning. Yeah. But I also, I mean, if a friend says like, oh, this is a great book and I think it's not that great at the beginning, I'll still like trudge my way through it just to see if it picks up at all for me before completely discounting it. Yeah. But I I hear everyone for not wanting to... To really spend time doing that. I I, I agree too. Yes. 100%. So, well, so should we go back to our well-read wine now that we've talked about our books? Yeah, let's go back to our well-read wine. So this is a... Uh, okay, I'm going to go color-wise. I think that you can see the spot of Syrah compared to... If we're talking... If we're going to assume that we have the Syrah, the Sangiovese, and the Grenache... Your color is going to be more of that Syrah touched with Grenache. Your Sangiovese is going to be more red. So that's not what I see here. Yeah, no, it's... it's I see more of that purpley. Yeah, it's got a dark purpley color to it for sure. But on the taste, it's not as deep as the color. No. It's very light in taste. It doesn't stay. There's no tannin. Very acidic. There is something... There is something vinegary about the whole situation. It's like... On the nose and on the taste, like there's something that's not, it's not food-y. <laughs> it's, yeah. 
I don't want to say medicinal. I also don't want to say like nail polish remover, but it's something more in that vein. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I do understand. You kind of get that like, like I said, it's got that really tart acidic component to it. Yeah. I'm not getting much fruit, honestly. No. If anything, I would maybe say it's like underripe cranberry or something. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, um, which is challenging because like their description is... What is their description? It's perfectly balanced, filled with black cherry and blackberry flavors leading into a hint of toasted vanilla. Mm. I think that there is a huge amount of oak on the smell here, but taste-wise... I don't wise, taste any oak. I don't taste it. It's not tanniny. It's not very tanniny. There's like a little aftertaste that's a little maybe charcoal-y or something. Yeah. Um, but I don't get their description. And I haven't drank that many organic wines, so I don't know if this is like the nature of an organic wine. I, like if because they haven't used so know. many of the traditional uh, methods and processes. Uh, I don't think so. I've, I've had some good organic wine before. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and say that I think you can probably pick up something better at TJ's. Yeah. This seems to be one of those, like those books that I just mentioned that you can kind of struggle with. Yeah. Th- this might be one of those wines that we struggle with a bit. Yeah. Sorry. For sure. <laughs> 100%. A little a bit of a struggle, but you know, eh, that's, that's the way okay. it goes sometimes. Sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles. We definitely judged this wine by its cover, so. <laughs> but also what's in the bottle. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll find another one for the next DBP book club. I, I think so. I think it should be uh, a riveting novel type of wine. Yeah. We'll do some research. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Um, so thanks for listening. And if you have recommendations for books that we should read, we totally welcome them. Give us your list. And we hope you enjoyed this. And we yeah. look forward to our next our podcast. Next one. Join us All next right. week. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Happy reading. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform to help spread the DBP word. Check out our website and blog at dbpcheers.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dbpcheers or on the Drunk Bitches Podcast Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you, so send your questions, comments, and fun wine or topic ideas to dbpcheers at gmail.com. Until next time. Cheers Cheers from from the the girls of DBP. DBP.